Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. I'm Josie Long and I'm your host for Sound Unbound, where we talk to creative people about the music they love. Today, we're in Harlem, New York City, to meet James R. Game. James was the editor of Time, Life and People magazines, where, in his words, he wrote the first draft of history. But nowadays, he's more interested in reaching further back to the early Enlightenment. Hello there, welcome to Harlem. I'm Jim Gaines, the author of Evening in the Palace of Reason, which is a book I wrote about Bach that talks about his meeting with Frederick the Great, which is about the meeting of two worlds, uh, Bach's mythopoetic world of Lutheran spirituality and the world of Frederick the Great, which was the world of the early Enlightenment when rationality kind of overcame the world of religion. The the book that I wrote is about the musical offering and how it was made and why and what it represented in the history of the moment. It took place at the court of Frederick the Great, who really despised Bach's music. So the evening that Bach went to Frederick's palace in 1747 was during one of Frederick's chamber music gatherings all musicians. It was more of a practice session, I guess, or one for him alone than it was. It certainly wouldn't have been a public event, but but one for the court. But as soon as he was brought the news that Bach was at the gate, he said, old Bach is here, and had him brought directly after a jarring ride from Leipzig. I mean, a long ride in a bumpy coach, brought him straight to the palace and immediately presented him with this fugue subject. So here's the theme. Very game of Jim. That was the opening section of Bach's musical offering, a piece which put his compositional metal to the test. But before we go on, 
This is a good point for Ben Jernan, Sound Unbound's resident conductor, to do a bit of explaining. Bach is the master of the fugue. But what exactly is a fugue? It's essentially a conversation in which everyone talks about the same thing at the same time. So you start with the subject, which is the main theme, and then other voices join and take the subject in imitation. And then you end up with this wonderful pattern of woven contrapuntal harmony and line. Writing a fugue is actually really difficult. It's essentially a mathematical puzzle to try and make everything sound related. Fugues were Bach's bread and butter. But Frederick the Great had a trick to play on the old master. And Frederick had devised, before he arrived, a fugue subject that was almost impervious to elaboration. At the event in the evening that Bach went to the palace, his son Carl Philip Emanuel Bach was there because he was Frederick's harpsichordist. And there is speculation that actually only Carl Philip Emanuel Bach could have written a subject so impervious to counterpoint. In any case, Bach did manage to improvise a three-part fugue, at which point Frederick asked him for a six-part fugue. And Bach took that, he said that's impossible, but took the idea back to Leipzig when he went home. And that was where he worked out the musical offering, which is a multi-movement set of variations on Frederick's theme that actually never makes that theme into a fugue, but does a fugal counterpoint to it. Bach's genius was that he had this great combination of being able to write fugues that were extremely complicated. Often you would have two, three, four, five, even more voices, all singing or playing at the same time together. But beyond just the simple technical language of the music, Bach was able to convey a real strong sense of emotion and beauty. He was an extremely devout man. And when you listen to Bach, you do get a real sense of his relationship with God. Frederick said that Bach's music smelled of the church, and that's because the music of the church in those days was counterpoint. And it's true that it was a, it was a, a very demanding discipline. Really hard to imagine how difficult it is in this day and age. David Yearsley, a Bach scholar, likens it to alchemy. It was a kind of a secret passed from teacher to student, teacher to student, teacher to student. He set this theme and variations to Frederick and sent it with a German dedication and sent it with amazingly embedded messages, telling Frederick that he was living in the wrong world, that, that the world was not a mechanical world of separable parts, but it was something that was knit together. It was a whole. It was almost ecological. And that was why I wanted to write the book. It was a meeting, it was precisely the meeting of the world of myth and spirituality with the world of the Enlightenment and the belief in rationality. Bach encoded his music with meaning by the use of various kinds of phrases you could express in Baroque music actual meaning. Frederick would not have understood that at all 
and and he he paid no attention to the musical offering. He gave his copy of it away. Eventually, it wound up in his sister's library, and he told stories about it later that were entirely clueless about the meaning of the music. So it was really not about Frederick understanding it. It was about Bach saying it and stating emphatically the position that he occupied in his world and categorically refuting the world that Frederick lived in. Frederick lived in the world of the early Enlightenment when all was going to be known and there was no mystery to life. God was a joke. Frederick was known for his religious tolerance, but it's because he was, he was contemptuous of all religions equally. So they lived in literally opposite worlds and began a point where the world shifted to a point where spirituality was something that you lived with every day. The devil had form and face and would take you away and burn you for, the, for eternity if you did the wrong thing. And the world of Frederick, where that was just nonsense. So I was interested in how that competition played out and where it ended up. Um, the conflict remains. We, we are still conflicted about whether spiritual meaning is the, is the point of life or whether we're just kidding ourselves about that. And really what we have to strive for is further knowledge. But these two ideas still stand opposed. We have not resolved them, and maybe we will never resolve them. The musical offering can be quite a challenging lesson, and it's absolutely more on the monastic side of things. But if you were to listen to his Brandenburg Concerti, for example, they're so full of life. There's a wonderful sense of vitality in them. So what's really obvious to me as a conductor is that Bach had this extraordinary ability to straddle a whole wide range of human emotion and thought. From the time I was a kid, I played Bach. Bach is most of what I've always played. And I think that that's kind of my wish for religion because I hear this unearthly beauty in Bach, and I feel it as I'm playing it. It's a, for, for one thing, it's a real challenge because the voices are so important to bring out. And sometimes you're dealing with five or six voices. And even when you're doing with two or three, the fingering is so difficult. And the, and the subtlety that you have to learn to bring out voices in the midst of all the other voices is is challenging and it's interesting but it's also when you get it right there's no feeling quite like it as a conductor i deliberately made a decision not to conduct baroque music and that's simply because there's a huge question about whether you should perform this music on original instruments or contemporary modern instruments that we have today the orchestral sound that we hear today was extremely different from what Bach had available to him. Indeed, string players would play on gut strings, which is completely different to what we do now. And the brass, some of them wouldn't even have valves, actually, at this point, so they were uh, consigned to only a few notes. Um, but as a listener, I love listening to Baroque music because I think it's so 
busy, it's so exciting, it's so wonderful. It just puts you in such a good mood every time you listen to it. But I think if I was to perform this, I would have to go and do another degree in performance practice because there's so much about this world that is shrouded in mystery. There are some really great conductors like Sir John Elliot Gardner, who you might want to listen to, or Sir Roger Norrington. They are real experts in this area. But I really admire the work and I really love the sense of spectacle that Baroque music creates. It's just beautiful. And, and I've always been drawn, you know, one of the controversial things that I get so much grief for in the book is that I say, when you listen to Bach and Mozart side by side, Mozart is just missing something. It's, it's tinkly. It's all about melody and it doesn't have the profundity of, of Bach's music. And, it, and as, at a couple of points in the book, I just said, you know, I can't go any further. Put down the book and put on the music. Because the best part of Bach is just unspeakable. Thanks to James R. Gaines, Ben Jernan, and to you for listening to this episode of Sound Unbound with me, Josie Long. In the next episode, we'll be talking to the choreographer and founder of Ballet Black, Casa Pancho, about Ravel. I'd never considered that you could play a piece of music <laughs> with an attitude. And I thought that was just really, really funny that they thought that the version we were using was a very pompous and serious version. Thanks for listening to Sound Unbound, part of Nothing Concrete from The Barbican. To listen to the rest of the series, subscribe to Nothing Concrete on Acast, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you'd like to hear more of the music connected to this episode, listen and subscribe to The Barbican's Sound Unbound playlist on Spotify. Sound Unbound is produced by Freya Hellier for Loftus Media. The assistant producer is Alex Quinn. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.